Blog Talk Radio. Water, folks, water, water everywhere. 71% of our planet is made up of water. And in our business, the stone and tile business, water can be our friend. We use it to mix our thin sets, our grouts. We use it to clean up, and it can be our worst enemy. So uh, thankfully for the suggestions from some of our listeners out there, we're going to talk today about the myths and facts of moisture and water intrusion, uh, the problems it can cause. Uh, we're going to also talk about things such as hydration and, you know, some of the bigger myths that I, that I fall into. If you'd like to share in a conversation other than just listening, you can call in at 323-870-3968 with your questions or comments. Again, the number is 323-870-3968. You can also send me a text uh, on my Facebook page which simply go to stone forensics and you'll get my web page there or my facebook page there and you can send me an instant message uh or you can just send me an email which is f houston f-h-u-e-s-t-o-n at gmail.com uh now before we get started with the myths and facts let me go ahead and uh, one more time um mention that I have a stone inspection and troubleshooting seminar coming up in Las Vegas in January. Uh, it's going to be at the same time that the stone show, stone and tile show is out there. So if anybody wants to sign up for that, I have a limited number of seats. Uh, it's starting to fill up pretty quick. Uh, people are asking about it. So I'm going to cut it off probably at about eight people. And that'll be the maximum amount that I'm going to take. It's a great Great seminar. People have loved it over the years. A lot of good reviews. If you want to see some of those reviews, just go to my webpage, which is stoneforensics.com, and click on the training tab, and we can uh, you can take a look at some of those things there, or just you know send me an email. We'll go ahead and uh, and give you any information you need. Okay, when it comes to water, and particularly when it comes to what I call flooding. Now, whether that flooding is caused by a heater overflowing, uh, whether it's caused by a hurricane, how appropriate. Um, sure, we're going to be getting lots of work in a North Carolina area here uh, in a few months. Uh, if, you'll, if you're listening from that area, take cover and, uh, and good luck, and hopefully you'll get through the hurricane okay. But regardless of how the material gets flooded with water, the number one issue I get, especially with insurance companies, and this is a myth, is that, okay, I had a flood. Uh, my tiles, if we're talking tiles, or it could be slabs as well, now sound hollow because the flood caused them to be hollow. This, my folks, is a big, big myth. And to understand why it's a myth is that you have to look at the setting materials. What are our setting materials? So they're basically Portland cement with polymers and additives added to them. And they go through a process called uh, hydration, which means they they actually become stronger underwater. So if the floor was hollow before the, well, if, the, if they claim the floor was hollow after the flood, uh, the answer is no, it wasn't. It was always hollow. And all they're doing is using the excuse that the, that the flood caused the hollowness. Uh, 
So don't let anybody convince you that a flood, I mean, unless it's a, uh, a flood that, you know, comes in and a hurricane tears up the floor or something, a flood, water alone, standing on a water, I don't care if it's buried in six feet of water, is not going to cause your stone or, or, or porcelain ceramic tile to become hollow. Okay, hollow, the hollow sound that you get, uh, if they're experiencing hollow sound, could be soundproofing, could be uh, any number of things, or it could be there's just voids in, under the floor, which a lot of times that's what it is. It was set wrong to begin with. They may have used a five-dot method. They may have used uh, a method where they didn't properly beat the tile in, and you installers know what I'm talking about. Uh, that is, it's not going to happen. However, let's talk about a fact alongside with a myth, all right? The myth is flooding is not going to cause hollow tiles. The fact is, depending on the type of stone that you're dealing with, you can get oxidation. And this is especially true with the Carraras, a lot of the white materials. Granted, any stone that contains naturally occurring iron is prone to oxidation. In other words, they're prone to rusting. And the thing that a consumer has to be careful of, as well as you guys out there that are in the business, is that it may not occur right away. So let's say someone has a flood in their home or their business. Insurance company comes in. And even if they call an expert like me and, you know, and they say, well, you know, is this damaged? Can it be repaired? And my, after an inspection, my usual uh, response to that is, well, yes, it can be repaired. Uh, depending on what the repair entitles, and we'll, we won't get into that during this show. But here's the problem. A week, a month, two months, three months, five, six months down the road, you may end up with the stone starting to oxidize. In other words, it starts to rust, and I've seen this. I've actually seen this happen a year or two after the fact as well. I remember during Hurricane Andrew many, many years ago, I was getting calls down in South Florida almost 10 years after the fact uh, to look at damaged, damaged floors because floors are always the last. I mean, that, that's the last thing you worry about. You're going to worry first about your roof, your windows, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it takes a long time for that oxidation to start. And when it does, it's going to continue to occur. It's like, just like the rust on your car. Once the rust starts on your car or the metal on your car, it's like a cancer. It starts to eat away at the, um, at the car. And it's the same thing that happens here. Uh, if it goes long enough on stone and the oxidation goes long enough, you have a condition known as iron jacking. That's where the rust starts growing crystals. The minerals start growing crystals and you end up with, you know, spalling and popping and chipping and everything else. So, that's the fact. That, 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 that's a true fact. Now, not all stone will do that. Uh, obviously, tile won't do it, you know, your ceramic or porcelain, t porcelain tiles, although I have seen grout do that. Uh, but generally, your stones, especially your light-colored stones, will begin to oxidize. As a matter of fact, someone on my Facebook page uh, mentioned, you know, what about Carrara, you know, white Carrara and showers? And I, I've, I've got a simple response to white Carrara and showers, and that is don't do it. <laughs> and I know that that's kind of harsh, but I see it all the time. I get calls on it constantly. And I don't care it, how you set that material. I don't care how much sealing you do to that material. Eventually, water's going to get in there, and water's going to cause oxidation. And you're going to end up with it starting to turn a yellowish color. The yellowish will go to brown, then brown will go to a deep red. And the only cure for that at that point is to tear it out and replace it. Now, with that said, 
there are things you can do as an installer to help prolong that. And one of them would be to set it in epoxy as opposed to your regular thin set materials uh, or, or mud, whatever you're using. Uh, the second thing would be to basically seal the crap out of it. Uh, you know, get it good and dry. That's a key. And then go in there with a good high quality impregnator and seal it really, really well. However, the problem comes into, and I've seen this problem again and again, most of your impregnators, most of your penetrating sealers on out there work very well against moisture and water, but not so well against steam and vapor. You know, remember, these, these products all claim, and, and rightfully so, claim to be vapor permeable. What does that mean? That means vapor can get in there. So what can basically happen, looks like we might have a caller coming in. We'll get that in a second. Uh, uh, what can happen is the vapor will actually get into the stone, and when it gets into the stone, guess what? It becomes wet, and you end up with oxidation. Now, the problem with sealers, if that happens, even though you have, you know, let's say a 98% vapor uh, transmission there, you're still going to retain water longer than you would if it wasn't sealed. So you've got to be really, really careful. So Carrara is one material to answer your question that I, I don't like using in showers or a wet area. Um, I don't like using certain limestones in showers as well. We have a lot of limestones out there, and I could take the rest of the show here to, to name some of the limestones that are out there that just fall apart. They, they get moisture in them uh, due to, you know, the, the hot showers, and everybody now is putting in these steam showers. So that's my opinion for, for what it's worth. All right. So we talked about the myth, which is the, the, the tiles becoming hollow. We talked about a fact, which is yellowing. Another thing I want to talk about, and this is something that I hear a lot of installers, a lot of even inspectors talk about stone flooring, terrazzo flooring, and it could be wood flooring. It could be any type, type of flooring where the problem is what we call hydrostatic pressure, which is, which is let me just back up and say this. There is not a problem with hydrostatic pressure, okay? Hydrostatic pressure is basically caused by the weight of resting water. So unless you have a basement where is you have a lot of water in the soil and it's on a hill and that water is coming in, you're generally not going to have a hydrostatic problem. What you're going to have is what is called osmotic pressure. Uh, osmotic pressure, uh, any of you that ever uh, seen any epoxy terrazzo floors or just epoxy floors where they actually bubble, that's caused by osmotic pressure and not by hydrostatic pressure. Let me kind of make this as simple as I possibly can and, and explain what osmotic pressure is. And the, the simplest way to do this is with an analogy. And I wish this was TV rather than radio because it'd be a lot easier to show you than it would be to explain. But imagine you have two glasses of water side by side. One of the water, pure fresh water. And the other water, you have salt water. So let's put the salt water over to your left-hand side. Now, let's place a paper towel over that glass. So now we have a glass of salt water. We have a paper towel on it. Now let's take the glass with fresh water and let's put it on top of the paper towel over the top of the salt water. So you have a column of water here. You have fresh water on the top, you have salt water on the bottom, and you have a paper towel between them. Now what's going to happen is that because the salt water has a higher concentration of salt, 
it's going to want to equalize. So what will eventually happen, and you don't have to shake it up, you don't have to stir it. What's going to happen over time is they will equalize out. The, the salts will penetrate through that paper towel, which is what we call a semi-permeable membrane. If you look up osmotic pressure or osmosis on the Internet, you'll see that word uh, called uh, semi-permeable membrane, which means the salts will travel through. Okay, and not not the not the the bigger molecules, and they'll equal out. So eventually, you'll have the same amount of salt on the top, and the same amount of salt on the bottom. Now, let's replace that paper towel. Let's somehow we could we could do the same experiment, but now instead of using a paper towel, we're going to use saran wrap, and we're going to put a piece of saran wrap over the top of that salt water, and we're going to invert the fresh water on top of that, and now it's completely blocked. Right, that salt water can't get into the into the uh, into the fresh water because now we don't have a semiable permeable membrane we have a non-permeable membrane in there well what's going to happen is that salt water below is going to want to try to work its way into that fresh water but it can't so what will happen is a saran wrap will start to bubble this is what happens and your your terrazzo tie, your epoxy terrazzos, your epoxy coatings, uh, and even in your 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 stone floorings that are are heavily sealed is that because of the osmotic pressure, the higher concentration of salts trying to equalize itself out. So what you have is you have a slab, for example, which is typically where it happens, and it's trying to go into the into the air to equalize itself out. It's not going to happen. So you end up with that bubbling that occurs. So most of the problems you see are going to be osmotic pressure and not hydrostatic pressure. So that that's one. And I actually went on the web today and I was looking at a lot of these a lot of these problems, all the floor failure websites, and people are still calling it hydrostatic pressure. As a matter of fact, one website actually considered hydrostatic pressure and osmotic pressure the same thing. It's not. And I, I don't want to get too scientific on you, but uh, you want to be careful throwing that word around because it's not. If you ever get into a scientific argument with someone that really knows what they're talking about, uh, you're going to lose because it's not hydrostatic pressure. Hydrostatic pressure does not build up that kind of pressure, but osmotic pressure, osmotic pressure will. Now you have things like rising damp on an outside of a building. You have wicking that can occur, and then we get into the conversation between micro and macro porosity, uh, which we all discuss in my seminar. To give my seminar a plug, uh, but the, you know those are those are some of the things that 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 water will do. Water can be you know, a real problem when that occurs. Now, where water becomes comes into play in a good way, uh, so it's really not a myth, is when we talk about setting our tile. And whether we're talking stone tile, porcelain tile, ceramic tile, any kind of tile that we're using a a concrete-based, a, a Portland cement-based material, which is what our muds are, which is what our thin sets are, you have to understand how these products work. In other words, how does thinset work? You know, most people think, well, it just sticks to the back of the tile and, that, and that's how it, it bonds. No, that's not how it bonds. Okay, basically you have concrete. When concrete cures, when it hydrates, and again, I encourage you, if this really interests you, to go online and look at concrete curing, something that, I, that I've done for years. And what happens as it cures over a very long period of time, you end up with these little crystals forming. Well, these crystals actually interlock into the pores of the stone or the back of the tile. So 
you have to have some veracity. Some of you old timers out there, uh, you remember uh, when in the old days where we used to soak our tiles, and this is especially too with Saltillo tiles are very, very porous tiles. Well, the reason you soak those tiles is that so the tile doesn't wick all the moisture out of the out of your out of your setting material and allows that exchange of moisture. So basically, you need exchange of moisture. That water needs to go into the back of the tile in order to bond properly. Okay, so now when the, the concrete, your thin set, your mud starts to hydrate, it starts forming these crystals. And then over time, you get this actual physical bonding that, that occurs on the back of the tile, which brings me to some of the failures we see. And the failures we see, we see this with um, uh, porcelain tiles, especially really high-grade porcelain tiles that have very, very little porosity to it. Again, you don't have that exchange of moisture. Your fiberglass back, your resin back materials, and I've talked about this on the show several times. Okay, once you put a resin on the back of your tile, you don't have that type of bonding anymore. The, that concrete can't penetrate. You can't get that moisture into the back of the tile in order for it to bond properly. So you need to chemically bond it. And most manufacturers, whether it's Mape, Laticree, Custom, whoever, are going to recommend that resin back and fiberglass tiles should be set in epoxy. And guess what? It's rarely, rarely ever, ever done. Now, with that said, let's back up a little bit, a little bit and talk about modified versus unmodified thin sets. Um, basically, the difference is, is your unmodified thin sets are primarily Portland cement. Okay, they, they bond the way that I just, just had mentioned. Uh, the reason we have modified thin sets is modified thin sets have the introduction of polymers, whether they're latex, acrylic, or there's some type of a, a polymer in there. What that does is it helps retain moisture. You need moisture, which is why we're talking about water, in order for the hydration process. The longer you can keep that moist, the stronger your bond's going to be. So your your polymer, your, your modified uh, uh, thin sets have those polymers that keep the, the, the setting material moist for a much longer time so it slowly dries out and that hydration process, the formation of those crystals slowly start to start to develop and cause a very, very strong bond. So you know, most of the setting materials that we're using nowadays are modified. There are unmodified. And where do we see unmodified thin sets? If you guys are familiar with Schluter, uh, the Detramat, and some of the uh, other competitors that are out there, they recommend bonding that with unmodified thin set. Okay, now, there, there's been arguments going on for years about, you know, do, do you have to use unmodified? Can you use modified? Why, why, would, not, why would we not use modified thin set on those type of membranes? And, and, and the answer is fairly simple. The answer is because now you have a plastic, a polymer, the, the, the detrimat or whatever, that moisture is in there for too long a period of time. And in some cases, it's going to take too long for it to dry out so you won't get the proper bonding, which is why in most cases they recommend going with a unmodified uh, thin set. Now, why we're on the thin set you know, setting material topic, I will mention uh, something else that I've run into that uh, is a myth. I guess you could call it a myth. Uh, it's definitely a failure that I've seen and a wrong way to do things. And that is where you're using an unmodified thin set and you're adding a polymer to it, a latex additive, an acrylic additive. If you read the directions, folks, especially for you installers out there, if you read the directions, it says to use it 
in most cases, 100% add no water. Um, I've had cases, and I, I may have told, told this story in one of my other shows, where we had a, uh, a failure on a resin back tile floor in a big casino. It failed terribly, and when I sat down and talked to the installers, the installer says, oh, yeah, we used an unmodified thin set, but we added a latex additive. And so right there, you would say, okay, they, they did it right. They, you know, they used the proper material. But what I found out later on talking to the actual installers, the guys out there actually doing the installation, <laughs> they said they added a couple latex additive to their bucket of, uh, of thin set and then added water. So it basically diluted the, uh, the polymer down to almost nothing. So that's not the way to do it. Again, folks, read your directions. All right, let me stop a minute and uh, give out the phone number again, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968 if you're listening live. Uh, the email address is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. I have that open as well if you care to uh, send me a, a question or a comment on what I've talked about so far or anything actually related stone and tile. Uh, again, you can check out the uh, Facebook page, which is Stone Forensics, and uh, you can send me an instant message there as well. I'll be more than happy to take your questions uh, there as, as as well. All right. So, you know, this this exchange of moisture between the back of the tile and the setting material is extremely important, which is, you know, what I alluded to a few minutes ago. If you have a tile that's extremely porous, you know, we have some limestones. If you're setting saltillo, Mexican tile, it's important that that tile, at least the back of it, be wetted at the very least, if not soaked. Because what will happen, especially with our thin sets, because we're using such a thin amount and there's so little water in there, even with your modified, your you know, your polymer-based materials, it's going to suck all that moisture into the, the stone or tile, and it's not going to bond properly. So you're going to have some bonding bonding issues there as well. All right, some other myths, and, and this is a myth that I know you guys have seen out there or heard about or maybe even had customers say is uh, has to do with, with water myths, and that is, okay, you've just installed a brand-new marble floor. I don't care whether it's residential or commercial, and I can't believe that this piece of advice, this myth, is still being used today, and that is you only want to clean it with water. And that, folks, is a big no-no. Water alone is not sufficient enough. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when I did my historic seminar, uh, I got into how surfactants or, you know, your your stone soaps, your surfactants, your neutral cleaners work. And I'll go ahead and mention it uh, again right now. But basically, if you have dirt on a, on a floor or on a countertop or on a, a shower, water alone might rinse it. But it's not going to pick it up. It's not going to, it's not going to dissolve it. It's, it's unless it's water-based. So you know, most of your oils, your grease or whatever, don't like water. What happens when you mix oil and water together? The oil floats on top of it. So what you need is you need something that's going to capture the oil, but but be able to rinse it away. And that's what a surfactant does. If you look at a surfactant as as let's take a look at a lollipop. Okay, the lollipop has the you know the big ball of candy on the top, and it has a long a long stem. Well, let's say that the 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 ball the the candy part of the lollipop loves water. It absolutely loves water. It'll swim in water all day long. But the stem, the very very bottom of the stem, that likes oil. 
but it hates water. So you can imagine putting a million of these little molecules of surfactant in there. What they do is that little stem attaches itself to the oil, to the dirt, to whatever, and then lifts it away because the little ball, the little candy part of the lollipop is, is rinsing it away. So a surfactant is very, very important. So the myth that you only use water and God forbid when they say vinegar and water uh, for marble surfaces, that's also a big no, 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 no. So, uh, and again, today, I mean, 40 years ago when I started in this business, I used to hear that all the time. And it just surprises me to this day that there's still thought that that kind of advice is still being offered out there. Water alone, folks, is not the proper way to clean a kind of surface. You need to have a surfactant in there. You need to have a good neutral cleaner for a surfactant. All right, we're going to talk about another myth. And in, in my opinion, it's a myth. To some other people, it might not be a myth, but it does, it does, it's, it's related to moisture, it's related to water, and that is mold growth on stone and tile surfaces. Well, folks, I have a degree in biology, so I know a lot about mold. I took an entire class on it one time, and let me, let me list the facts for you. First of all, mold spores are everywhere. I don't care where you are right now. You could be in Hawaii. You could be in Alaska. You could be in California. You could be here in Florida. I don't care where you are in the world. You are now breathing in mold spores. The reason most molds, and there's tens of thousands of species of molds, become an issue uh, with people is because of they're allergic to it. So you may have someone that's highly allergic to certain types of mold, others that are not. Uh, I know I, you know, I, if I get into a very moldy room, I tend to sniffle a little bit, but it's an allergy. It's not like the mold's going to come up and, you know, cause you to get poisoned like, like arsenic. It's, it's an allergy issue. So some people with asthma have an issue with that. COPD, they have an is issue with that. But mold needs four things to grow. It needs a food source, and that food source has to be an organic food source. It needs oxygen to grow. It needs moisture, which is why we're talking about it on this show with water, myths and facts. And it needs a temperature. It needs a warm, a warm temperature. Uh, it won't grow in a cold environment. You can, I mean, there are some molds, but we don't see those type of molds that you would normally see uh, here in Florida or the south where you have warmer cli climates than you would say in Alaska during, during the wintertime. Okay, with that known, food source, oxygen, moisture, and temperature, let's take a look at stone and tile. First of all, it's a mineral. There are, for the most part, no organic matter there. Okay, we set it in a, that we just talked about, a concrete base, right? That concrete is non-organic. It's, it's inorganic. Okay, there's no organic material there. Uh, for it to grow on. So first of all, you have no food source. Now, if you put that stone in a shower, of course, when you shower, your skin cells are getting in on the stone into the grout lines. You can get mold growing there, which is why you see mold growing, grout, et cetera, because of the food you're giving it. You're giving it the body oils. You're giving it the skin cells. Those are all organic matter that the mold gets to, gets to feed on. The myth that really upsets me is that when someone, and I've had several of these where, you know, oh, my house got flooded and now I'm freaking out because I'm afraid we're going to grow mold under the, under, the, under the tile. Unless that water was sewer water, where there was a high degree of organic material in there, it's probably not going to happen. And even if you dry it out, it may not happen. So, I mean, there's a way to check for mold. 
uh, very simple. What I, what I would do is if that's a concern, I would take a tile up. I would go get a mold test kit, which you can buy at Home Depot or Lowe's, send it out to a lab. They'll grow it in a, to a culture, and they'll tell you. They'll not only tell you there's mold there or not mold there, they'll tell you what kind it is. So, you know, if there's a black toxic mold, they're going to say that. Black toxic molds, you know, a lot of people are allergic to them. So it's an allergy thing. Mold can be killed, but it's not easy. Uh, there's a controversy right now in the mold industry that, you know, with bleach. Will bleach kill mold? Yes, it will, sort of. There are some molds that are resistant to bleach, but they won't kill the spores. And, the, you know, you could kill all the mold off. And uh, if the spores aren't killed, they're very, they're very sturdy. They're very hardy. You're not going to kill kill that mold off. So, uh, another one of my my pet peeves is with the uh, the mold remediation people. You know, frightening people to death about mold. On, you know, woods. Another story. Woods organic in nature. Uh, if you use a mastic, uh, I've seen mastics used in bathrooms on ceramic tile. Mastic is or most of them anyway are organic in nature. But if you're using a thin set, if you're using a mud, you're dealing with inorganic materials. All right, one more time, the phone number, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, if you have a question, a comment, if you like to argue with me, that's, that's fine as well. That's, that, that's what we're here for. So I, I could basically go on and on about, about the moisture issues. Probably, you know, other than improper installation, moisture is, is definitely a, a problem that I see with a lot of failures, whether it's in a shower uh, outside as well. Uh, I often say in my inspection class, when you go and you do an inspection, let's say you're doing an inspection on an interior floor, is to not only look at the floor, look at outside as well. You know, see if there's there's moisture coming in from the outside, if dirt's piled up against the house. And I've seen that many times as well. So extremely careful. All right, I'll give you another minute here if you want to call in with a question. If not, uh, I'll be glad to take any of your questions uh, via email or instant message on my Facebook page. Just let me check real quick and make sure no one has sent me anything. I don't see anything, I don't think. Let me just excuse me a second. Let me just check. Nope, I don't. Uh, but just go ahead and send me an email to fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Uh, drop me an email if you're interested in my stone inspection and troubleshooting class uh, out in Vegas uh, this coming January. And I'd be more than happy to get you registered or answer any specific questions you have uh, you have about that. Uh, I'm trying to get some interviews set up for the next couple of shows. I've been talking with Alpha Tools. I've got some new products out that I'd like to discuss, so we'll probably have them on the show shortly here. If anybody out there wants to uh, be interviewed with a, a new product, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other shows, some great shows we've done here. Uh, you know, We've talked about the anti-edge coatings. I think we spent three or four uh, shows on, on that in particular, and we've interviewed almost everybody that has an anti-itch, anti-anti-itch, anti-itch uh, coating out there. So it's definitely something you uh, uh, you'll want you want to check out. And um, and again, I'd be more than happy to take your suggestions as far as future shows, people you want to interview. If you want to be interviewed, that's great, uh, and we'll take it from there. So I will see everybody next Wednesday, and. Uh, just keep an eye on the Facebook page and uh, you'll see what's coming up or on this site here, blog talk radio, and uh, you'll find out what we're going to talk about next uh, door next show. So everybody have a great weekend. Uh, if you're in the North Carolina, South Carolina area, please stay safe. Uh, get out of there. Uh, come down to Florida <laughs> until the next one. It's okay. See everybody next week. Have a great one.